Hey, and welcome to the CCWC podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. Psalm 95, a psalm of praise, a psalm of celebration. Starting in verse 1, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks below belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if only you would hear his voice. Do not harden your hearts as you did, as you did at Meribah <clears throat> and as you did that day at Manasseh in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they did Though they, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years I was angry with that generation. I said they are people whose hearts go astray and they, do not know, they are not known, they have not known my ways. So I declare an oath in my anger, they shall enter, never enter my rest. Great passage. Starts off with this expression of celebration, this expression of, of, of cheer for the, and praise for the God who created all, the one who loves us, the one who created you and I and everything that we know. And as it continues through, recognizes the unfaithfulness, as David writes about, the unfaithfulness of the Israelites and the struggle they had as they walked through the wilderness, eventually finding a place at the conclusion of this psalm of where they would not, in a lot of ways, receive the praise, the celebration response, or the time that they could have or would have with the Most High God, the Holy God, the one to which we praise this morning. It's interesting as we read this specific psalm that there's some very similar, some very great similarities as it pertains not just to the Israelites, but to us as believers the recognition that we've gathered here today and we praise our God. We celebrate our God through song, through giving, through fellowship, and even now through reading his word and understanding his word. The context and the implication to this passage recognize the fact that Paul is writing about a royal priest, a, a king, a celebration, a praise for the one who has created all. Praise is, in essence, our response to what God has done in our lives, through the way he has created us, the way he has given us things, the way that he has given us an opportunity through Jesus to experience new life. And this is our response to that, praise. If you're following along in your note guide, I'm going to give you the big thought up front, which is not necessarily always the best thing to do. You know, if you watch a TED talk about this, they might say, hey, don't give this until the end, but I'm going to do it now because I think it's important to, to give us context of where we're going to look at or what we're going to look at today. The big thought, we are created to praise and worship our God through the celebration of Thanksgiving. Get this, we were created 
not to do whatever job you have, not to be a husband or a wife or to be a father or a mother, not to be a grandparent or a mailman or not to be uh, an engineer. We were created, in essence, all of those things are ways that we can do so, but we were created to praise and worship our God through the celebration of thanksgiving. It's exciting to note that there's a holiday that comes up this week that reminds us of this purpose for creation, right? We have a date on the calendar every year, this, this Thursday that's coming up, where we celebrate together. We gather with friends and family, some of us. We, we, we get together. We have a meal. We, and some of us, we have to work, so we take another day for this, whatever it might be. But we have this moment in the year that we celebrate Thanksgiving together. The sad thing is, and you know who you are, some of us like to kind of skip it and get along to the next celebration, right? That Christmas celebration. So we get that tree and we get the lights up and we do all those things, which I'm not saying is bad. I love Christmas too. In fact, I'd love to keep my Christmas tree up all year and just redecorate it depending upon whatever the holiday is, right? Okay, it's Valentine's tree, right? Now here we go. It's St. Patrick's Day tree. It's already green. I love Christmas. Christmas is by far uh, one of my favorite holidays. You know, Easter is up there, but Christmas, without Christmas, there is no Easter. But here's my my challenge, so to speak, or maybe my encouragement just today in this place as we move into this understanding what Thanksgiving is. Do not skip the meaning and the opportunity of the holiday that we are going to celebrate this week. Because in a lot of ways, this, this, this holiday of understanding Thanksgiving and posturing of being humble in what we are thankful for and the praise that we have for a good God who loves us, who provided us what we have, our life, and then also spiritual life through him, this is the time we celebrate that as we move into this Advent posture, this waiting for, this, this anticipation for the King to come. And so may Thanksgiving actually be the first moment of Advent or the first moment of paving the way in our lives for the celebration of Christmas, the coming of the King. When I was uh, in South Dakota, I, I actually had the opportunity several times to travel to the bustle, the hustling, bustling town of Billings, Montana. Uh, it was central um, landmass wise. It was central in our district. And so that's where we would go for our district conference. And because we would look at the amount of people on our staff and what it would cost to get there, typically we would fly uh, to Billings. Now, there was no direct flights from Brookings, where I was, or even Sioux Falls. So we had to always uh, drive to Sioux Falls, fly then to Denver, and then fly from Denver on a small plane into Billings, which was an adventure when we would do it. But one time above all else, we experienced a greater adventure. Now, I don't know if you you know this, but um, there's this thing that takes place in winter, especially the further north you are, called snow. And sometimes snow is beautiful. In fact, most of the time it's beautiful, but sometimes snow can complicate travel. It can complicate plans. And this day was no different. We got on the plane in Sioux Falls early in the morning, myself and several other leaders that were going to the district conference that year, and we flew with uh, no complication into Denver. As we got closer to Denver, we heard there were storms and there was a possibility that our flights might be delayed from Denver into Billings. 
As we got closer and closer and finally landed, we found out almost immediately that there was no rush to get to our connecting flight because it had been canceled. And so what we decided to do was one of two things. We can either turn back because if we try to wait for the next flight to get there and get on that flight, we're going to get there basically at the end of the conference. We'd miss almost the entire thing and it wouldn't really be worth going. Or we could, uh, so we would fly back, or we could rent a car and attempt to try to try to drive the nine hours in the snow to uh, Billings, Montana. Let me just say, the ones that were a little more sane chose to fly back, and the group that I was in chose to make the drive. The trip was an interesting one. I'd never seen parts of Wyoming that we'd been in. I'd never seen a lot of the, the amount of snow that can come down and uh, just some of the things that uh, are, are beautiful out west, especially as it was snow-covered. And I'd never seen them and appreciated them so much because of the reality that I had left handprints in the seat in front of me as I gripped it as we drove through some of the most dangerous and treacherous roads that were snow-covered for nine hours. As we went, we, we did pray. Sometimes God, thank you for getting us through that, and sometimes God help us to get through the next thing. We had a good time playing games. We, we talked. We did different things during some of the lulls in the storm. And eventually we got there. We got there and we met up with several people that had flown in the night before. We talked with some other people that had driven that gotten there before the storm came through. And as we talked with them, we recognized the reality that when we discussed our trip there, we, we discussed even our health and our ability to even be at the conference, that we had much more of an appreciation for where we were at because of the fact that we recognized, we walked through, and we praised God during the journey to which we had to take to get there. And so as we walk through this season of Thanksgiving into Christmas and even into the Advent season, this anticipation leading up to Christmas, may we not skip over the things that are both exciting and the things that are difficult, the relationships we have to push into that might not be the easiest with family that we might not agree with on everything, or maybe on the other end where we get to see and meet new family members that have just been born or just married in. Whatever it might be, wherever we find ourselves, may this be a moment where we walk through it, where we step into it with the with the understanding that we find a greater appreciation for who the king is as we are thankful for and we celebrate and praise him in the good and the bad moments along the way. I want to look at a few different uh, aspects of this passage. It's interesting to see kind of in, in order the way that David writes this. He starts in verse 1 with, Come let us sing for the joy of the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. This series we conclude today was a three-part series looking at thanksgiving in any language. And today we read this language of Hebrew. It's, it's translated into English for us. This, if you've been waiting for it, is the classic Thanksgiving celebration sermon. I know the last two weeks if you came and thought, man, I'm going to feel really good about Thanksgiving when we leave. You might not have. Sometimes it can be difficult to express thanksgiving, especially in the times of trials. But today as we look at this specific passage and we understand what it means to celebrate God, I want to look at the word, uh, which is a root of the word yada, which we talked about last week from the Aramaic. This is toda, 
or if you say it more uh, in English, it's ta-da, right? <laughs> Which really, if you think about it, that specific word or phrase when it's expressed, uh, not necessarily in a, in a, um, uh, in a, um, can't think of the word I'm trying to think of. Sarcastic form, if it's, if it's expressed in a good way, like, hey, I just accomplished this and then I just did this, like it's kind of a celebration moment. And so it kind of fits, but, but toda means to extend the hand in adoration, right? To avow, uh, it's a, mo- a means of acceptance, confession, praise, thanksgiving. It's giving God praise. In essence, it's thanksgiving in song, in liturgical worship, in a hymn of praise, which they expressed here. It's an opportunity to give thanks in sacrifice or through confession, which in essence is where David is going in this passage, recognizing, hey, you've fallen short, so there's a need for expression through praise, through todah, for you to come before God and expression to Him. It means to worship the Lord and thank Him for the things not yet received, as well as the things that are already in hand. In essence, the point is this, thanksgiving is a celebration of abiding in God with praise for his provision. It's, it's an opportunity for us to abide with God. What does it mean to abide with God? It's more than just sitting down and reading scripture or more than us just coming to a place and, and singing together. It's this connection of spirit, this deeper spiritual connection between us and the God who created us, the living God who created us. Not some God that's, that's died and in the grave somewhere, but the one who has beaten death and risen from the dead. The one who, who lives and, and breathes and is going to return one day. This connection. Thanksgiving is a celebration of abiding with God. I don't know about you, but I, I enjoy abiding sometimes with, with people. Right? Abiding in, the, in, in peace. I, I remember being at a restaurant not too long ago and seeing a couple that were sitting there and they were having a meal and they were sitting across from each other and they, they sat there for the longest time and didn't say one word. They weren't on their phones. They weren't distracted by the menu. They just sat there and they just kind of sat at the table and kind of looked at each other. I remember thinking to myself, man, it's kind of a waste. You got this time away. And I, I, with kids, I thought, man, if I, ever, if I ever get a date with my wife again, I'm going to go out and I'm, we're going to sit, we're going to talk, and we're going to catch up, right? And they sat there and they just kind of looked at each other. And I thought to myself, what, you know, what, a, what kind of a waste this is. Then I kind of thought through this idea of abiding. And part of abiding is just simply connection, being close to each other. Being without distraction, putting all the other things aside, all the baggage, all the things, not necessarily always has to be words, but when we abide with God, we're just in commune with Him. Maybe it's reading a passage and then just allowing that passage to, 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 to change us, to transform us as we, as we breathe it in. Maybe it's just expressing a prayer of saying, God, how can I connect? I said this prayer this week. God, how can I connect with you in a deeper way, in a new way that I've never experienced before? And then you know what I did? And this isn't always my posturing, isn't always my behavior. You know what I did? I sat and I listened. And I allowed God to speak. I abided with God. And I can say it, I'm not, I'm not always the best at that because I've, I've got things I like to, to accomplish, things I've got to do. But, but just abiding with God and letting Him engage with you is a celebration. Jumping down to verse 11, we go from this praise, this place of expressing thanksgiving through, through todah. We get to verse 11. It says, so I declare on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. How did we fall so fast? 
right? It's only nine verses, and we went from praising God to being almost banished from him. Why are we getting thrown out? Why are we getting eliminated? This is like the, cel- the, the, the separation. You know, there's kind of a, a shared metaphor here in the cel- separation, but there's also a shared consequence. You know, as we were born into sin, as we experienced the same thing that every other person has after Adam and Eve sinned, there's this separation that takes place. They, they've, they've experienced it the same way. And the point is this, we do not appreciate the fullness of the feast of the celebration because we do not practice the fast. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? It doesn't always have to be meal, 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 you know, and there's a lack of appreciation. Oh, I didn't pray before my meal. That's not exactly what I'm saying. In fact, it lies more on one of the sins that we hear about, the seven deadly sins, uh, the sin of gluttony. Let me just say right now, if you're sitting here and you say, well, I don't overeat, I can check out during this part of the message, please don't check out. Please don't check out because I think what has happened sometimes in our culture is we minimize the meaning of what something really is. Let's talk about gluttony for a minute. First of all, where did it begin? Gluttony began actually in the garden. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 19 through 16, or 9 through 16, I'm going to read verse 9. It says, The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So God created the, the vegetation. He created the food, the sustenance for those that he created. And as the, the, the passage continues, he talks about the other creations he made. In verse 15 says, The Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. And then obviously we know except for those in the, in the center. And so here we see this reality that God has given them food that is good for them. And they had this opportunity to be able to engage with the food. Now there's something much deeper here. As the, as the passage continues in Genesis chapter 3, uh, starting in verse 1, it says, Now the serpent. Now the serpent was the more crafty was more crafty than any of the other wild animals that the Lord God had made and he said to the woman did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden as the passage continues this conversation happens verse 6 says when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also and this is the key and also desirable for gaining wisdom she took some and she ate it and so the path of understanding looks like this the devil devil separated food from the creator by giving it some kind of mystical power, by giving it some kind of a power beyond what God intended it for. The devil said the food would be, uh, would not only satisfy us, but it would glorify us. And the opposite happened. They ate until they were not full, but they ate until they were empty. The key is this, the glory of food, so to speak, the glory of food is in the giver. The glory of food is in the person, uh, the, the God that created all. The glory of food is in the giver, just like the glory of everything else that we have is not in the item itself, not in the, the tangible thing itself, but it's in the one who gives to us. Just as Pastor Seth was talking about us coming and giving something tangible back to God, that is what we are to do, not just in this room, but in life. We are to be stewards of everything that God has given us, recognizing that the power of everything that we have, the goodness, the glory of everything that we have is in the giver. And it's not just in the giver, but it's in giving it back to the giver. But Pastor Steve, I eat right. So this gluttony thing, it doesn't really apply to me. 
I, I'm good. I, I don't have to worry about this. Now, gluttony in and of itself is, is a difficult thing, but let's, let's go beyond that. I like to look at the roots a lot of times of where maybe a sin comes from. And, and the, the reality is it's this idea of temperance, right? A, a need for self-control, which is the same thing, self-control in and of itself. Temperance or self-control is an inward strength. It's an inward strength. It's something that comes from inside of us that, that's a, uh, not necessarily built into us. Sometimes it's a saying no to self and allowing the Spirit to lead us. But it's something that, that we do as a result of our, of our experience and as a result of our connection with the God of all. And so let's walk through a couple of different types of gluttonous behavior. The first one probably most of us would recognize is supersizing. Right? Supersizing. You go to a fast food restaurant, would you like to supersize that? They don't really say that anymore um, since the documentary came out. But what they do say now is, is would you like to, to, to make it a medium or a large or a larger than anybody could ever eat or whatever the next size up is? Would you like a, a gallon of, of whatever? So they, they go up and up, right? It's, it's more than we need. That's supersizing. That's the one that typically gets associated with um, gluttony. One of the things that I used to watch when, uh, when ESPN uh, started coming out with all these different channels, you know, it was first it was just ESPN 1, and then it became 2, and then Classic, and then ESPN 100, and all the other things that came along with it, right? Every single thing. And, and they, it was almost like they needed to find things to, to put on ESPN, right? At first, it was just like football and baseball. Yeah, those are, we all recognize those. Those are, those are sports. And eventually, it got to a place where it's like competitive eating. Anybody ever seen the, the hot dog eating contest? Right, Kobayashi, this little guy just like slamming hot dogs one after another. When I think about gluttony, when I think about supersizing, I can't, think, can't get that picture out of my mind. Thanks a lot, ESPN. You should have put a parental warning on there. I shouldn't have watched that. The second one is grazing. And this is the hardest for me to talk about, I will tell you right now. Grazing is an increase in frequency. Eating and eating and eating, eating when we're bored, eating when we don't have anything to do, eating when it's convenient, right? Always heading for the pantry. This is the worst time of year for that for any parent that their child went and, and went to trunk or treat or trick or treat because there's those bags of candy lingering. It's like, well, it's going to go bad. When has anybody ever let a Snickers bar go bad? Let me just ask you that. <laughs> But the frequency is there and just continue to graze and graze and graze. And there's never this experience of hunger. There's never an experience of, of, of needing. Instead, you just always kind of have enough in the tank. It's like those, 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 the people that would say this. I do this typically. You know, you just kind of always fill your tank up. Act like, act like half. Uh, this is for new drivers, it's a good thing. Act like half is empty. So anytime it gets to half, fill it up again. You never really get down to an empty place. The next one is branding branding. This is like seeking more extravagant foods, seeking the, the best and, the, and, and always having these like really awesome things. This is like overdoing it, overdoing everything that you have. And this is the type that I would say should be considered or, or should be limited to celebration in and of itself. This is when you get out the fine china or the silverware that you have to dry it or it has little spots on it, right? This is like the meal. This is like the celebration meal, but in essence, as I'm going to continue, you're going to recognize that if we do branding every single meal, it might not be what it's intended to be. The next one is scarfing. Probably never thought that was going to be a point on a Sunday morning, right? But it is. 
This is like ravenous desire. This is eating too quickly. Well, I got to get to the game or I got to get to work or I got to do this or I got to do that. And so you find yourself steering the car with your knees so that you can eat a bowl of cereal on the way to work, right? Nobody else has ever done that. Give me a break. Come on. I never have. I'm not that coordinated. But this is, this is, in essence, being too busy to abide, too busy to be in the presence of God, too busy to appreciate what God has done. And so you're just doing it to hurry up and fill your belly so you can move on to the next activity rather than recognizing who gave you, who, who granted you the opportunity to experience these foods. And then finally, special ordering. This is the finicky one. And, and here I, I might make some people upset. This is the coffee snob type, Right? Well, if it's not this temperature and it's not this exact brand, it's not in the cup, it doesn't have the right lid, I won't drink that. Take it away, peasant, right? <laughs> no one's ever said that. But special ordering is a, is a type of, of, of gluttony because it says, this is all I will take. I don't care what's offered to me. I don't care what God has provided. It has to be this certain way in this certain form or it's a no-go. Interestingly enough, all of these come from a place of having a hardening or a hardened heart, as we read about earlier in verse 8. Do not harden your hearts as you did in Merbah, which is about quarreling. The word means quarreling, or, or Manasseh, which, which means testing, meaning we walk through these places of, of battle, of fighting, and at the same time, these places of, uh, of, of walking through testing or trials. He asks the question, what keeps us from praising God and his ultimate blessing? In verse 2, we read about ungrateful hearts. In, in verse 6, or, or having a, a grateful heart. In verse 6, we talk about not worshiping or submitting to him. Verse 8, hardening of hearts. Verse 9, testing God because of stubborn doubts. All these things kind of leading back to this recognition of what gluttony can do and how it can pull us away with a hardened heart from what God has for us in this real celebration and so again, I say we do not appreciate the fullness of the feast of the celebration because we do not practice the fast. We don't practice the time of saying no or just being content with what we have. And therefore, we're out of rhythm because we're always eating or we're always rushed or we're always getting the best. And so when it comes time to celebrate, like we, we should be doing this weekend in some form or fashion with friends or family or even by yourself in, in, in abiding with God or even this afternoon as we engage together in, in a feast together as a church family, because of the fact that it's the way that we always operate, it's not really a feast. It doesn't stand out. It's not something new. So how do we practice Thanksgiving then? What, what do we do? In verse 6 and 7a reads like this, come let us bow down in worship. It starts with posture. It starts with a recognition that he is God and we are not. Come let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, recognizing that he created us. He is the originator of us and everything we know, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. He provides for us. As his flock, he protects us. He gives us provision. He keeps us safe. He loves us. And he grants us the food, the sustenance we need as we talk about that this morning. Ultimately, this psalm is a call to worship. Going back to verse 1 and 2, it is a praise to worship. You can't celebrate holy, though, without rejecting gluttony and engaging in the fact that God is God and we are not. 
The word thanksgiving is read in in Psalm chapter 50, uh, verses 14 and 15, reads like this, sacrifice thanksgiving to God. Sacrifice todah, offerings to God. Fulfill your vow to the Most High and call on me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you will honor me. As we continue to walk through this, we see the recognition that, that, that this word is one that's used throughout the, the context or the, throughout the course of, of the Israelites' understanding of who God is and the relationship there. The thanks offering goes beyond that. In Leviticus 7, 12 and 13, it says, that is your vow to God most high. Vows were accompanied by prayer in times of need, by thanksgiving and offerings, by, by praising God through his answered prayer. Verse 12 through 15 reads like this, If they offer it in an expression of thanksgiving, then along with their thanks offering, they are to offer thick loaves made without yeast and with olive oil mixed in, thin loaves made without yeast and, and brushed with oil, and thick loaves of the finest flour, well kneaded and, well, and with oil mixed in. Along with their fellowship offerings of thanksgiving, they are to present an offering with thick loaves of bread made with yeast. They are to bring one of each kind of an off, as an offering, a contribution to the Lord. It, it belongs to the priest who splashed the blood of the fellowship offering against the altar. The meat of their fellowship offering of thanksgiving must be eaten on the day it is offered. They must leave none of it till morning. And the recognition here is far beyond. This is a sermon in and of itself. The recognition here, obviously we are not the Israelites and this doesn't apply directly to us, but, but the implication is so true that we come to God recognizing, I mean, even looking at the blood there that they were to splash, recognizing the fact that what we have, everything we have, especially spiritually, is a result of God's provision and love for us. He created us and then in, even in our sin, he created a path for us to experience grace and new life through him. The point here is this, feasting is not about the food. While the cook in the room says, no, 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 hold on a minute. Let me just say this. Don't, 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 don't hold me up here. Feasting is not about the food. It is about the Godward celebration of a specific occasion. Food is part of it. In essence, scripture talks about that. We should, we should eat, but we shouldn't do so in the wrong manner or with the wrong posture. Feasting in Christ is no, no mere physical event, but deeply, deeply spiritual. We celebrate the bounty and kindness of our creator and redeemer. I, want, I, I think the best way to conclude this, this series, this, this time, this, this, this week, as we kind of walk into this Thanksgiving week, is for us to celebrate together in song. I want to give you just a few things in this challenge, and they're, they're already in your notes, but I want to walk through them just briefly, even maybe with some practical prompts. Uh, the first one is this, prepare with self-control. May I, may I suggest, if you've never done so before, to, to prepare by having a fast before Thanksgiving. Maybe fasting the meal before. If you're going to have your, your Thanksgiving meal on, on you know, Thursday at lunchtime, at, uh, your dinner then, maybe you, you fast breakfast or you fast the dinner before, the night before. And as a family, you fast that. So when you celebrate together, you can have this recognition both physically and spiritually that God is the provider and this feast together is more than just another meal that we have. Also recognizing that in fasting is a time to connect with God. And so you can pray and ask for more of an infilling from him. Second thing is plan with Christ at the center. 
Think through, look at every single element of the day. I don't know if you do this on a daily basis already or not. I, I try to do it when, I, when I'm uh, in this mode or tr- in, in remembrance of uh, recognizing God in every element of the day, in every conversation, in every meeting, on Thanksgiving, in the meal, in the way you set up the table, in the way that you get everything together, thanking God for the smallest things that you have, the largest things that you have. God, thank you for the, the utensils we have and the energy we have to be able to, to, to heat up this or to cook this. At the same time, thank you for my child. Thank you for my parents. Thank you for my friends and neighbors. Number three, invite God to join the moment. This might go back to that scarfing thing. Sometimes you were just so hungry because it's like, hey, dinner was supposed to be at 12 and we had the family here and it's 3.30 and we're still waiting for this turkey, right? So it's time to eat. Really, that's never happened to anybody either. Okay, all right, we'll just continue. But inviting God to join, and, and sometimes this can be a, a, just a, a moment of expression, but sometimes it can be physical. And I would even encourage you, if you have the space, to leave an empty chair at the table. Leave an empty chair so that when you see that chair while you're sitting there around the meal, you remember, hey, you know what, this is, this is what this is about. This Thanksgiving isn't about, you know, the pilgrims and the Indians. This Thanksgiving is about thanking God for his provision. Number four, th- corporately thanking God. This is, the, this is the prayer moment. But let me say beyond that, oftentimes the head of the household or the, the person that, that has put the meal together will be the one that will pray. Let me encourage you just to maybe take time, let everybody around the table pray. You can do that creatively, maybe throughout the meal, maybe at the end of the meal, but let everybody express, hey, here's something I'm thankful for. And then everybody pray a, a prayer of praise for the person on their left and the thing that they are thankful for. That might implicate some to recognize you maybe need to sit around a table for this. I don't know. If there's not space in some way that you're facing one another with little or no distractions around you. And then finally, the fifth one, enjoy food and fellowship with thanksgiving. This kind of coincides with what I just said. Turn off the TV. Make it a no cell phone area. When they walk in the house or when everybody's there, they put their cell phones in a place where they're not going to distract any of us. And as we sit down together, may we enjoy this food and fellowship and not be distracted by the things, the other things that we have to get back to as soon as we're done with this meal together. That might be a good recognition of meals in general, but maybe this is a start. And I'm sure there's a lot of other things. This isn't necessarily a comprehensive list, but my prayer, my hope is for us as a congregation, for us as people, for us as believers, that Thanksgiving wouldn't just be another holiday that we check it off and say we got through that, but may it be an opportunity for us to experience the goodness of God, to praise Him for who He is and what He's done. Would you join me as we transition the service? I'm going to pray, and then we're going to conclude in song. So would you stand This song will act as a a dismissal, but let us celebrate Thanksgiving together in song before we conclude this service. Thanksgiving is a week, a moment, a time where you and yours can step forward with God and say, thank you for who you are. Father, we thank you for these moments. We thank you for this time. We lift up this service and beyond. May this be an opportunity for us to maybe a fresh and a new step forward in a way that you have given us opportunity uh, to say thank you for the large and the small. God, even for those that maybe this is going to be a difficult holiday because of a loss of a loved one or or something along those lines, may this be an opportunity for us to continue to come to you and thank you, Father, while while we walk through this process together. 
May we rally around one another. May we support each other in fellowship. May we affirm each other and love one another as you've loved us. God, thank you for all you are, for all you've done, and ultimately for your son, Jesus. Because without his life, his death, and his resurrection, nothing else matters. Thank you, Father. Amen. Thank you again for spending time with us today. Thank you especially to those of you who give to CCWC. It is through your faithfulness that makes this ministry possible. Also, if you have any questions about today's teaching or if you want to learn more about CCWC, feel free to contact our office, check the web, or follow us on our social media platforms. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we do encourage you to take a moment to subscribe and share it with friends. Let this be a blessing to someone else that you love in your life. You're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning for worship, or until then, we'll catch you on the next one. God bless.